gagged at two girls, one cup. You cringed at two guys, a girl, and a pizza place. Now it's time to get uncomfortable with Two Nobodies, One Podcast. This is Here's My Movie. Here's my movie. Oh, that hurt. That hurt my guts. <laughs> That's how much you put into it, everyone. A gut-busting effort for the Here's My Movie second intro. Yeah. Uh, so welcome to episode seven. That's episode 007. Bam, bam, bam. Bam, <laughs> and now we've got multiple theme songs going on. We don't really have a Here's My Movie spin on that one, though, yet. No, no, I don't want one. Oh. No, fuck Bond, honestly. Fuck Bond? Well, there's no. some spoiler thoughts. No, no, no. Oh, you want to like, fuck Bond or like, fuck Bond? No, it's a bit of both, probably. Like a hate fuck. I hate fuck. <laughs> we're getting, in, getting no, into no. the deep stuff I don't, already. I don't, I, don't actually, I don't actually hate James Bond. I, think I'm actually, I actually quite enjoy most of the films, to be, to be fair. Fuck, marry, kill. Of the James Bonds, go. All of them. Yep, all of them. <laughs> so you got to pick three. I know. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to pick three. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. I get where you're coming from. Uh, you can't just say all of them. No. Uh, Daniel Craig as the most recent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Connery as the one that everyone loves for some reason. Mm. And then wildcard, wildcard Bond. Ooh, uh, Roger Moore. <laughs> this is the easiest fuck <laughs> Mary kill of all time. Oh, go on. So I'd kill Roger Moore. <laughs> nobody cares. I love, anyway. I love how kill is the last one, and you've just jumped straight to it. You're like, nah, Roger Moore. We're, we're getting this one out of the way. He's yeah, dead. Look, honestly, who cares? Um, I would marry Daniel Craig. Right. I think he's the whole package, and he's also very quiet. I enjoy a quiet environment. Oh. Um. Yes. And whisper Bond. <laughs> whisper Bond. And I'd fuck Sean Connery just because I could say I did. Just but, because. But I promise. Not to enjoy it. That probably sounds like his style. <laughs> I mean, his character, Sean. I'm, I don't know. I don't know you personally, but your character probably seems to like that. Your Bond. Uh, so mine would be. Uh, I mean, we're starting with kill. So let's uh, let's let's kill Roger Moore. Oh, so you're you're fucking and marrying a, a Bond as well? Yeah. Well, I've got her. It's okay, only fair, right? right? Yeah, I'm gonna kill right. Roger Moore. We're very progressive on this show. I like yeah. it. <laughs> Um, and then I'm going to reverse what you did. So I'm going to, I'm going to marry Connery. Why? Because, oh no, what have I done? Who do I want to, yeah, but yeah, no, 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 start over. I'm going to fuck Roger Moore. You know why? Because fuck Roger Moore, right? (laughs) I'm going to kill Connery because even though, (laughs) even though I think that, um, What's his name? Why am I blanking on him? The guy who played Gandalf. Um, Patrick, no. Richard Harris, no. <laughs> other, other bearded man. For those just tuning in for the first no, time. No, uh, Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen. We are, we are expert movie. <laughs> I, was, I was just sort of sifting through well, that was, I was like, I'm pretty sure there's an Ian, Ian Holm. No, it's not Ian Holm. It's definitely an Ian. Uh, I don't know if I can call him gay Ian because we're not friends. <laughs> I hope that's okay if I'm allowed to. Anyways. Uh, I just remember a gay friend of mine talking about it and talking about Ian McKellen and always going, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> in, in reference to Ian McKellen's 
gayness, but I don't know. That's probably not appropriate for me to do because I am not the gay man in the story. This is an unedited podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> everything goes in. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, but my, going back to my side rant, far be it from me in the intro to side rant, but uh, Sean Connery was supposed to play Gandalf, was offered the role of Gandalf and I think he didn't understand it or maybe that was Morpheus in the Matrix either way he said no now Ian McKellen is perfect as Gandalf don't get me wrong but can Absolutely. you can you imagine Sean Sean Connery as Gandalf you shall not pass like come on <laughs> <clears throat> that I would I would see that regardless so what what was I doing to him I was fucking him no, no, no I was, was going to kill him. I was going to kill him because of, because because he wasn't Morpheus, even though, again, he would not have been perfect as Morpheus. But that accent, I just want that accent in any role that has a lot of S's, I think, just cast Sean Connery. Um, and then I guess, what am I doing? I'm manual, marrying, manning? marrying Daniel Craig. Or Daniel Craig, as they like to call him in the States. Oh, Craig, yeah. Yeah, Daniel Craig's list. <clears throat> for, you know, for a country that likes to change... Uh, words that have S's in them in our land to words that have Z in them if they have a Z sound. I can't really get on board with C-R-A-I-G becoming Craig. Mm. If it was C-R-E-G and for some reason we call that Craig, sure. You know, that's on us. But Craig, A, Aig, Aig, America. And we just got rid of the one or two American listeners that we had in one fell intro sweep. <sighs> yeah. It was nice. It was nice having them on board. Thanks for yeah tuning in on our Bond episode, quintessential American uh, series. That uh, yeah. Look, um, so do we just jump right into it at this point? I think first, um, I, I would like to apologise. Uh, it has been a month mm. since we last recorded. That is almost entirely on me. Ninety nine point nine. Where does the point one? It's just, it's just to make it seem... It's a margin of error. Yeah, yeah. It's in case my calculator... Like, I failed math, so... Uh, Is that not 100%? Sounds pretty close to 100%. So it's 100% my fault? (laughs) It's not. We're we're, we're working this out. We're, uh... This is actually couples counselling now. (laughs) Uh, Our cat, Patrick, is mediating, and he's already facepalming. So, quite literally facepalming. Uh, but yeah, anyways, uh, overseas travel, I I mean, Katie was sick before the last one, and I don't think she got me sick. I got sick from, you know, going to a restaurant how dare I because I'm a, quite a recluse so I got sick to the point where I was only able to whisper uh, and there was lots of coughing and that makes for a very creepy podcast what do you think about Bond? yeah you know what maybe next time we'll try it I've try t- a whispered podcast so I mean our, our intention is to do this thing weekly right well uh, to release it weekly, weekly-ish, right? Weekly-ish, I think. Yeah. Weekly-ish. And I'd lo- like, Ish. we've discussed our next schedule and the next few movies coming up, so we're going to try and sort of get one in the can spare, so that if yeah. this happens again, we've got content coming out because consistency is very important, and it and it pains told. me that uh, that we've left it this long, but that's fine. Uh, welcome back on board, hopefully, and we'll be a bit more consistent. And it's not due to laxness. I think that's important to flag. We watched this movie weeks, these movies we're about to jump into weeks ago. Um, yeah, just sickness, travel. So we, uh, yeah, have come up with ways, as Katie's just touched on, to to bypass that, especially because I'm going to Tasmania this week that you're listening to this. Uh, so And he may not come back. I may I may not come back. So, you know, from beyond the grave, am I dead in this? No, no, I'm, I'm still alive. That you so I'll have to phone it. it in. I'll literally phone in my... Yeah. Like, here's, here's me, Katie, react to that. <laughs> you're so funny, Nate. <laughs> Keep the illusion alive. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, no, but where, uh, yeah, the, the, the absence was felt by me um, and our 30 subscribers or whatever we've got now. But that's, that's we're getting there. Not by um, me, I don't feel things. No. I'm the unfeeling one. Yeah, the cold pursuit. Should record this. You could only see the, the weird look I'm giving Katie now. Yeah, I don't know. How would you describe that look? Oh, you sort of mild constipation and frustration. That's what I was going for. Excellent. Nailed it. Charades. <laughs> Have you ever played a really bad <clears throat> game of charades before? I thought that charades was something they only played in, in like movies, in like quirky, quippy. Is there some dickhead above us playing in the pipes? There is, but I won't. Look, it, it may be recorded. I don't think it was, Noises but... of the podcast. You know, we, we started this thing out expecting Pat to be the thing we would apologize for most, and then we have what, in the in the first episode, we had a howling loon outside. Hello? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> We're just like, what do we do here? Like, what's the protocol? We, we don't want to cut this. It's not edited. We could have died then. We could have. I mean, had we replied, maybe we maybe we would have. We're better off ignoring him. Yeah. Lesson learned. Crazy at the door? Ignore. We're going to have a vacuum cleaner happen at some point. Yeah, there's a. I think the person above us is obsessive-compulsive at, at best. Or the theories that are going on are drug dealer yeah. and, you know, got to get up that last little bit of whatever's dropped and put it back in. Yeah, yeah, that's what she's sweeping up the kiff to sell that for, like, $10 yeah. instead of, yeah. Or a serial killer. Yeah. Because that level of, you know, meticulous cleanliness is... Mm. Like seriously, it's it's every it's multiple times a day. I work from home, uh, so I hear it during the day, and then I hear it again at night, or yeah. we hear it at night. It's uh, it's crazy. Like I'm all for cleanliness and next to godliness and all that, but that's like next level, right? Oh yeah, uh, I, it starts from about five thirty in the morning, and it's anywhere up to about eleven p.m. What if they night. become a listener? How good would that be? Writing in, and we've, uh, <laughs> we're hearing from Raving Loon sixty nine. So can the the person in apartment? Four upstairs. <laughs> this is our passive-aggressive <laughs> roundabout way. Can you please control? I, I guarantee at this point, at this point, you are sucking the pattern off your carpet. There will be no dirt. You know what? If you are addicted to vacuum cleaning, because obviously you're listening to our podcast, yeah, we would love for you to come and take some of that out down here. We have a cat that sheds. Just I don't know how. Like I will brush that thing down to the point where there is no more hair coming off the comb. And then next morning, there's little pockets of hair everywhere. It's like he's challenging me. He's issuing a challenge. So, and then he wants to eat them, and then he throws up. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun, old Patty. <laughs> so if we uh, jump right in to <laughs> this is us jumping right in. <laughs> yeah. Warning! Warning! This podcast contains spoilers. Press pause and go watch the film before proceeding, if you care. Yeah, we're uh, we're not just covering Casino Royale in this episode. We're doing Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. Katie's dying to know why. The, the reason why we were covering the two together was not made clear to me. Yes, it's a secret so saved for you. Please, Nate, you have the floor. Why is it that we are doing both Casino Royale, the Daniel Craig remake, and Quantum of Solace? That's a good question. I'm not going to ask that right now because it's part of a here's my movie bit. Is it? It is, absolutely. That's okay. what... I mean, so I guess that's partially an answer, right? Because yeah. I did say there was a reason, and the reason is because it will become clear when we get beyond the... What did you think? Now, throwing it back to you, when we were watching it, I believe you've seen... Quant, uh, sorry, Casino Royale before? 
Yeah, a few times. But you hadn't seen Quantum of Solace or was it Spectre that you hadn't seen or was it Skyfall? You said that there was a Daniel Craig Bond that you hadn't seen. No, I, have, I haven't <laughs> seen Spectre. I've seen... I had seen Quantum of Souls before. But you forgot it. Completely forgot it. That's um, pre-review, spoilers. <laughs> Skyfall, I only ever saw at the cinema and I haven't seen it since. What did you think of Skyfall? Because that's the one that, apart from Casino Royale, everyone's like, Am I good? I didn't mind it. I thought it was good. Like, yes. It, it, it re- it's really strange because looking at the... Uh, when, you, when you re-watch Casino Royale and then, you know, then the following day, I think we watched Quantum of Souls. Um, and there's a really the, part of what I'll discuss is the very seismic shift of characterization of James Bond between those two films, right? And then Skyfall brings it back to Casino Royale kind of standards, yeah. and that's what it should be. And I'll explain why. Uh, so Spectre may then be the pairing to Quantum of Solace, which stands to reason why everybody hates it. It's kind of like the Star Trek thing. Like, yeah. Not that I'm a big Trekkie, but um, and I'm sure that people will let me know. One friend in particular, he knows who I'm talking about. But there was a curse, Star Trek curse. It was either early on the odds or the evens were quality and the other ones were considered to be bad. So you kind of just expected that every alternating one to be bad and then you'd suffer that to get to the quality one or, or, or less than... Stella, I yeah, guess. Yeah. So actually, it's definitely Evans being quality, now that I think of it, um, because Wrath of Khan was second. And if I'm wrong on that, I'm sure I'll hear about it. Mm. But uh, So you had seen Quantum of Solace, had forgotten about it. I had, yeah. And there's a few reasons why, but keep going. Well, no, no, I'm just throwing it back to you for, like, let's do the, the review portion. I'm more interested in, like, I've, I've watched Casino Royale, I don't know, 12 times at really? least. Really, that many? Yeah, like, that is my favourite Bond. Like, hands down, in the lead-up to Skyfall, whenever that was released a few years ago, uh, I actually did, I did like a little, did the maths, even though I said I failed maths. I found a way to make maths work for me, and I did a Bond movie every night in the lead-up to what was going to become the release of Skyfall, so I was completely up to speed. Now, as a kid, we'd watched Bond, which is a bit weird, given my household, uh, childhood household was okay with violence, not so okay with swearing, which I guess James Bond never really had that much of, but sex was definitely bad. So we were only allowed to watch select Bonds where the, the kind of innuendos were like over your head over, as over a kid. A kid or yeah, rather than blatant, head, yeah. blatant stuff. So I'd only seen select Bonds um, and it was interesting to go back. Some of the Connery ones uh, are, are good. I wouldn't say great, they're good. The Roger Moore ones, there were some that I liked more than I expected. Actually, I'd watched Live and Let Die as a kid and I remembered liking it and I think I still liked it from memory, didn't love it. I think, I know, half of it was good and half of it was not so good. I really liked revisiting um, Timothy Dalton. Mm. He's an undersung Bond, in my opinion, who was basically going for that serious, grounded, I'm a psychopath who has a license to kill uh, kind of angle where the one-liners from Dalton are like they're basically like a bad guy doing quips because he, he's like he does them in such a way that it's not like wink to the camera I'm that pun guy you know mm. here's that shit pun that Roger Moore really lent into I mean Connery did a bit of it but it was really kind of like sinister you're like whoa this guy is he's not a good guy like I'm cheering for a bad guy here which was cool and I really I hadn't seen George Lazenby's 
Bond right. at all, and I thought that it was fantastic, uh, especially that ending. Like it, it didn't mind being slow. It had a confidence to it that the other Bonds didn't really have in terms of they were sort of more like they became formulaic at a point where you got to throw in a certain amount of gadgets and stunts, and you know you yeah. got to have the Q moment, you got to have the Monty Penny moment, like that sort of thing. So they kind of just got a bit like churn for a while there. Uh, so it was good. It was good going back to it. And I, but I've always felt, you know, jumping ahead a little, that Quantum of Solace is it cops more hate than it deserves. You think so? Absolutely. I mean, okay. the quality drop between Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace is is indisputable. Um, but I think that they're kind of like intended as package deal movies. I mean, Quantum of Solace picks up literally moments after minutes after well maybe not even minutes after but like very shortly after the end of uh casino royale so they're definitely meant to be together i thought of, i was kind of hoping that they would do a do more of a through line throughout daniel craig's bonds instead of them kind of being this disparate entries that just happen to have the same bond they yeah, they right. do a little bit of that like they do that again in specter there's little touches of it in in Skyfall, but uh, Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace are, for better or for worse, I feel, meant to be companion pieces and a, and a very, like, for me, thematically, it's, you know, James Bond falls in love, which, you know, I remember reading years ago that anytime James Bond tells someone he loves them, it's kind of like a death sentence because the formula demands that Bond has a new girl. You know, that's like the, there's Q, there's gadgets, there's new Bond girl slash S question mark per Bond movie right so anytime he tells a, a woman that he loves her mm. that's like her she's fucked <laughs> so like yeah, yeah. don't tell me that you love me Bond uh, and it was that it was like falling in love and then the associated heartbreak and then the fallout of that like who does he become after that moment was Quantum of Solace again not a very quality thing but as I was saying to Katie while I was watching it because I was looking up like what's happened because the fight scenes are terrible it's so disconnected that it's almost impossible for me to even, having recently watched it, recall the beats of the film and what actually took place when. Like, I know the setup and I know the outcome. Everything in the middle is very confused. Yeah, but the fight scenes in particular for me, because you can have a bad bond, but great action. Oh, totally. And that still makes it worth watching, right? Like, part of why you go to see the bond is a yeah. new inventive um a fight scene and if you look at it from a top level uh, and you reading up well, as i was while watching it on the behind the scenes chatter and stuff and, and daniel craig talking about how it was way more physical than casino royale he had to do a lot more training had to learn a lot more things that opening car chase i think is fantastic i think that's actually like a, a, a quality shot of what that movie was intended to be in terms of its sequences. It's very well choreographed. It's got some stylistic stuff in it, but it's intense. It's fast paced. It's well shot. And then you cut to all these other fight scenes that have that kind of like early 2000s syndrome with the quick cuts, like the Bourne Ultimatum or the Bourne movies, mm. which is ultimately ironic because the Bourne movies are America's response to Bond, right? Like they're like, we want to have our own Bond. Mm -hmm. And it's Jason Bourne. And I like the first one. I like the second one. And then I think that that series is, just goes to shit. I mean, it's the same plot over and over again, guys. And the fight scenes, I feel sorry for the choreographers. I feel sorry for the actors. I feel sorry for the stunt people. Because you can't see what's happening. Mm. What is the point of a fight scene where you cannot make out what's going on? There were those like 100 cuts 
where they could have just... like 100 cuts and then random cut to like a background shopkeeper and scenery and then back to the fight. Like You can't it, track it. It was really weird the way it was shot. Like it, 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 it appeared extremely rushed. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. This is a movie, Quantum of Solace, this is a movie whose script was delivered minutes before the writer's strike started in America. Now, this is not like to say, therefore, love the movie and have a greater appreciation for it. It's more a context of what went wrong. Because mm-hmm. you've got Mark Forster directing it, and that guy's talented. Like, he's a talented director. He has made good stuff, and apparently Daniel Craig picked him, I think because he wanted to focus on something a bit deeper, a bit more introspective. Yeah. Something that had been set up and earned in Casino Royale because it had made a lot of money and it had kept the Bond fans happy in terms of the beats that it needed to hit outside of Q and gadgets. Um, <clears throat> but it had also showed you a Bond that could be three-dimensional, mm. you know, and could be flawed and, and a love interest that wasn't just a, you know, a piece of ass to, to ogle. Like, it was... A, a point to say this is can be an era of a new bond uh quantum of solace had its script turned in which means like late effectively it wasn't complete uh the director and daniel craig were reportedly rewriting scenes on the fly on set and to make matters worse because the studios for some reason instead of them delaying they just don't want to delay stuff mm. like somehow like if you've locked in a release date it has to be that well it's yeah and it's possible uh, crews have been booked and deposits have been paid and locations Who have cares? been set up and everything like that. So the the money lost to reschedule all that, you know, and then possibly with actors and cinematographers and everyone else who have another project set for another date, like it, it fucks all of that up as well. So it, it can be... So wear it though. Yeah, like it can be a huge... Like it's not to say it's impossible to delay something, but... Like, there's a reason that... This is a silly comparison, I suppose, but there's a reason that people like Lindsay Lohan very quickly got shafted out of the industry when others that had the same substance abuse and just general personality problems had a a bit more longevity, and it was because she was notoriously late on set or didn't show up at all where there's literally a crew standing around for an entire day waiting for her and she wouldn't be there. Um, so that that costs unprecedented amounts of money when you're working on, like, A-list stuff. Yeah. So I think that, like, it, I, I think it's just such a fuck around that it, it goes all in the, the too hard basket and that's why projects get shelved and all that sort of thing. I think it's it's an arrogance thing. I mean, if anything, it could be, yeah, yeah. We, like there's it's been quite a little bit of a delay or a bit of time since the last uh, Bond movie. This one has been delayed multiple times. Uh, they apparently had to convince this is the one that's coming out next year. Uh, they had to convince Daniel Craig to come back. He didn't want to come back. Spectre, for all its flaws, seems like quite a bit of a big full stop on his take on the character, which is kind of sad that it's a shitty farewell, you know, but. A farewell is a farewell, and if he's done with it, don't force him to do it. Mm. So if he's coming back, it's it's like they've they're willing to wait for the quality now. But James Bond is one of those rare franchises like Star Wars, where you can have arrogance about it because you know that you can make a dud, and people will still keep coming back. And it will. And that dud will make money. Yeah, it'll make money. It possibly breaks weekend records and does stuff like that simply because of the name and the character associated with it. I mean, it goes to show the importance of having a script lockdown, right? Yeah. 
Like, if you do not start with the basics, you're going to have a messy movie. Now, where Mark Forster, and I feel sorry for him, got fucked more, was that apparently he usually has 12 or was it 16 weeks to cut a movie together and he had something like four to six. Mm -hmm. So he had drastically less time to cut it together. And you can therefore see what he cares about. I think that the he cared more about the character interactions. Not that they were as good, but he cared more about those little quieter moments mm -hmm. and put more effort into those than the fight scenes where it's just sort of like he felt other directors have got away with stylistically just doing 100 cuts to show intensity and the, let the soundtrack do the work. And as an audience member, and I'm sure this is something that probably you know more about than I do, Katie, but I find that my biggest complaint about quick cuts is that your eyes are naturally drawn to certain parts of the screen and then you make sense of it, mm. or a scene, sorry. So when you cut to something, your eyes cut to usually center, but if nothing's center, then it'll be off center and then you'll look at it and you'll make sense of it. Now brains work pretty fast, but they cut so fast that your eyes are constantly darting around and you can't make sense of what's going on. So you find that you're actually just getting frustrated rather than conveying intense. Intensity, this is intense, it's so fast. Like Daniel Craig has shown that he can be fast, that he can be intense, that he knows how to do a fight scene from Casino Royale. Mm. And it seems like the set pieces were actually quite clever. That, you know, the chase across the rooftops in, in Italy or wherever it is, like yeah. on paper, sounds great. The terrible CG body doubles fall into the bell tower is bad. Is but then bad. that fight sequence in there where the they're different levels are at play. And he's climbing the ladders and. And the, the gun gets and dropped. The poles, and then, yeah. like, it's like this awesome push and pull of, like, Bond's winning, Bond's losing. They're both scrambling for a gun, and the way that it ends is peak Bond, you know, where he, he's spinning around and he uses a rope to pull himself to a to the pistol and then elevates himself and takes this one cold shot. Doesn't shoot more than once, knows he's got his kill. And it's like, on paper, if you told me that fight sequence, beat for beat, was going to be in a Bond movie, I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to see that. But it's cut so frantically. And the only one that isn't really is um, the, the plane sequence like towards the end or end of the second act. Yeah, see, the thing um, with, with with quick cuts and, and and you differentiate quick cuts between jump cuts here, like where... I don't... Teach me, please. Well, okay, so quick cuts have the ability to, to, to showcase speed, as you've pointed out, and so... Action looks like if you if it was just and you know this already. I'm not telling I'm not I'm not telling a learned film buff audience something they don't already know either in saying this. But if you get like just just say you're filming a UFC fight, um, now you'll notice that like when that's actually being filmed for television, there's usually more than one camera, even though it's a sports event and stuff like that, because a camera lingering on two people locked in a fight for too long can get super boring really, really quickly. And it's the same for a film. Like, you could have the two best martial artists ever locking horns for a fight in an abandoned building and the, the, the lighting's all right and the scene is all set. And if it's just sort of a mid-shot or, a you know, a long-range shot of two people punching each other and kicking each other and throwing each other on the ground, it's a yawn fest. Yeah? Have you seen Old Boy? Uh, no. Okay. So there's a there's a single shot. I'm not going to ruin anything. There's a single shot sequence in that that is considered to be one of the best action okay. things in a movie. Yeah. And that's not to say there aren't exceptions. Yeah. But not for, you know, you're talking about someone like reinventing yeah. a genre rather than 
you know, sticking to a formula, which is what Bond, I'd, I'd imagine, tries to do a lot of the time. I don't think they're trying to reinvent cinematography with a Bond film. No. Um, but it's... it's it, 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 a static image like that can get very old. Like it, can, it can get very stale very quickly. So quick cuts help to simulate the urgency of the situation, the fact that everything's on the line, like the main character and the hero is in trouble... Like, oh, my God, quick, this is happening, this is happening. Oh, oh you know, someone's driving fast. Like, you know, and then a jump cut would be someone's trying to help him and they're speeding in a car and they're still 10 kilometres away. Right. So it jumps to that. A different then, POV. Yeah, and then back to the action and, oh, my God, you know, everything's happening and, oh, there's someone coming towards him with a knife and, oh, he stopped the knife, but then there's another guy that's coming in with a rock. You know, like, so that sort of thing um, helps to simulate that that speed and, 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 and critical mass of the situation kind of thing. Um, but when done poorly, it just looks like a bunch of shots stuck together. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> which, which is kind of when, and then if you don't have time to edit it and refine it and smooth it out properly and do all that kind of stuff, then it, it looks pretty, like it doesn't give that same feeling. It just makes you, it, the audience is disconnected with what's going on and it becomes a state of confusion more than a, a heart elevation moment, you know, where you're like, oh, everything's on the line in this very moment. Um, so, you know, like them or loathe them, the Marvel Cinematic Universe uses quick, like quick cuts for action very, very well. But all of the... Um, I, I, there's, a, there's a scene about 10 minutes into Age of Ultron where um, all of the... Avengers are engaged in battle together and that is this seamless, smooth, amazing quick action where you can tell that someone's meticulously edited that until it was absolutely perfect. Um, you know, and that's sort of like you're looking at editing that deserves awards kind of stuff. But, yeah, that, that looks like the product of they've shot something and it wasn't quite right and someone's gone out to get extra footage and then they've shoved it in. Because there's there's a whole bunch of like scenes that even don't look the same color, <laughs> like the, the the lighting is slightly different in a few of them as well. I mean, it's visual storytelling, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you can't track it, just the same as if some if you have a character who's a raving loon, yeah. <laughs> isn't that my call of the day? Uh, then you can't understand what they're saying, and that can serve a plot. Yeah. But if they're meant to be your audience character, that's there conveying information, your expositional character, or your protagonist, or something. People aren't going to be able to connect. They're going to be like, I don't know what this person's talking about. No, and, and, and like a jump cut as opposed to a quick cut, like quick cut if you're talking about an action scene that's all real time. But then we were in jump cuts in but, yeah, Age of Ultron, right? Uh, as, as well, yes. But Age of Ultron's not like 100 shots in a minute. It lingers, it, it might track, but you can see what's going on. Yeah, you yeah, can yeah. identify the yeah, characters. That, that's because it's edited perfectly. There are times in Quantum of Solace that Bell scene uh bell fight sequence particularly where because they're both wearing suits i literally could not tell who was hitting who because they were cutting so quickly yeah yeah yeah, absolutely and that's that, that's a they don't do that in marvel though no it's because it's meticulous it is they may have taken that many shots but it is edited in such a way that is seamless and they've taken the best of the best of the best and they've you know they may have cg'd around it to make sure that it's smooth and beautiful which obviously Bond's not that kind of franchise. Like, it's not, you know, Captain Marvel isn't going to show up and help James Bond out of a 
sticky situation. Like it's not the same kind of film, but um, but for an action sequence, it, it, they can get really messy. Um, but jump cuts can really actually like they, if they'd actually used a, a jump more than quick cuts constantly, they probably could have conveyed that storytelling a lot better. Um, like Shaun of the Dead, for example, utilizes the art of the jump cut very, very well. Like there's, you know, when he keeps looking at his watch and he's going through his day, um, that is seamless storytelling. And you get through days in like a couple of minutes because they've they've edited that so well. There's a there's a, a chronology to it that tells a story. Um, Jean-Luc Goddard, uh, he, he directed Breathless, which is a film that I, I absolutely love. He is sort of the, I guess, the godfather of the, the jump cut and the quick cut to maximise time on screen um, by telling a lot of story in a very short amount of time. Um, so it, it can be done to great effect. And I just think when you look at the, the action sequences in most of Quantum of Solace, there is far too much screen time taken up to tell far too little in the story so we're rushing the actual bits that matter like who's double crossing who who the villain is what he wants who is with the villain who's against him who's going to help bond like all of that stuff happens so frigging quickly that it's almost impossible to to understand and care about everybody in the moment yeah so but you're talking more about Outside of the action sequences, then you're talking about the action. Well, I'm talking about the film as a whole, but yeah, the action sequences. I, I mean, I've, I think, yeah, <laughs> I, I keep repeating myself, so I've, I've established that the quick cuts are messy. I'm okay with the concept of a quick cut, but like, if your idea of the best way to shoot an action sequence, especially after like, and this is why while we were watching Casino Royale together, I kept highlighting like that opening action sequence with with Bond and the the bomb guy who's actually a French dude whose name eludes me who is one of the creators of parkour is doing all this amazing free running stuff you know which looks visually spectacular but it's him obviously they've probably got you know nets and wires that they've CG'd out for safety reasons but that guy from the videos that I've seen on YouTube that guy can do all that stuff so he's doing doing his thing and then instead of Bond just meeting him beat for beat Bond is this buffoon who fucks up his jumps, who falls over, who instead of, you know, leaping up and going through a tiny hole at the top, bashes through a drywall with his body. Just, he is a blunt force. And it's like, it looks cool, but it's also a director who's clearly thought a lot about his characterization, who's saying, Bond is technically outmatched by this guy because this guy is is more nimble. He's able to, you know, he's able to move faster, do more, but Bond is relentless. And uh, he won't let a wall get in his way. He won't, you know, he won't let an embassy get in his way. And those sequences are shot like they cut and occasionally they have quick cuts, but they're still okay with just focusing on all of the hard work of the actors, the stunt people, the choreography. Like that's who I feel saddest for. I mean, what's the point of making Daniel Craig learn all this extra stuff and spend all this extra time at the gym and physicality if you go like, yeah, we're just going to quick cut this, man. So just, you know, throw some punches. We're going to move you up and down on a rope. And you could quick cut and have the same result because effectively it still starts and ends the same way. And in the middle, there's some intense cuts, which implies action and some noises of people getting hit and an, oh, I got punched in the dick, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's when you that, that, that's when someone's able to seamlessly meld quick and jump cuts to show passive passage of time and action, 
and they it, like when someone's got the time to do that it can look really effective um but this reeked of no one's got any time like you've got four days to edit rushed yeah the whole thing like, feels yeah. rushed um and I, I think that it got to a point where to, to I mean my, my assumption is is that it got to a point where to unfuck it they just had to let some things go yeah and and that was uh, this action sequence like I can't really tell what's going on um, hang on where's Bond in that scene oh it doesn't matter it doesn't matter just cut to this other thing you know that shot where he's doing that just cut to that instead like and it style over substance well yeah they make the music go loud or they have that sequence where the music cuts like the sound cuts out entirely and you have the operatic thing playing over Bond cleaning house but like there's the quick cuts again and he's shooting people I guess because there's a gunshot and there's him real quick and there's someone falling over but it's not clean visual storytelling of an action sequence or Bond's efficiency either well no like it's it's a lot of fireworks that results in nothing like all we really learn at the end of that particular scene is uh, that's the good guy and that's the bad guy um he's a lot better than bond athletically oh you're talking about casino royale am i who which which bad guy is better than bond athletically i was talking about quantum of solace with the with the opera where he, he spots all the people working for the mysterious Illuminati-like organization. The beginning of Casino Royale, which I was talking about earlier, is the guy that has him outmatched. Like, physically, is is faster, is better at escaping. You know, not a better fighter. He certainly doesn't have the brawn. He can't go toe-to-toe with Bond. But as soon as he realizes that, like, he bolts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by rights... And he he he, can get away. He should get away. And he does get away. Yeah. He escapes, he wins, but Bond just refuses to accept the outcome. He's like, okay, you're in an embassy right now. I yeah, don't care. No, my apologies. I mean, at the end of the Quantum Assault, the, the immense screen time to showcase action in Quantum of Solace, you learn basically nothing. About the main bad guy? Yeah, or anybody, really. I mean, we already know Bond. We don't really need to spend much time on that. But, But I will say, though, is this is all kind of a moot point because James Bond is not an action hero. What is he? He's a spy. Right. So... Well, he's an assassin, right? Well, yeah, but this... The the Quantum of Solace film is, uh, for me, this shift in characterization from, you know, someone that in, in the Daniel Craig portrayal is, you know very cold emotionally distant getting the like meticulous in getting the job done psychotic probably to like to to the Jason Bourne to the you know Mission Impossible style action that is it's very it's heavily americanized versus the you know calculating cleverness that the Bond franchise always was even when it was cheesy there was still an emphasis on style and cleverness, not hyped up action and buildings blowing up and, you know, and, and stuff like that. I mean, there was, I think, in the, there's a couple of Sean Connery films where they started to uh, put some action in and then you notice that it gets dialed right back in other scenes. Like, there's, you know, there's a, a scene where his Aston Martin drives 
sort of diagonally down an alley that's too small for the car and you know you, you get like those wow moments but the stunts yeah yeah but um and it's always had like a, a you know stunts here and there but it was always about him outsmarting the crooks not through brawn not through bombs not through you know going in and shooting everybody or or it was always him getting his way and and being unstoppable through through a quiet energy and cleverness and i think that uh quantum of solace turns that on its head to make him just a hired gun you don't think that that was the bond that was established in casino royale this brash guy who i mean i've said it before a bunch of times but like is willing to walk into an embassy and execute someone on camera a guy who's willing to give away his actual identity at a hotel to effectively impress a lady um because he's like i don't care like he already knows who we are this is who i am who is who is a very blunt instrument like what i enjoyed about that setup of that bond is that he is being used i think by m like m judy dench amazing so glad they brought her back from the pierce brosnan uh james bond Mm. stuff she's awesome but i think she gets a little bit more time to to have some bigger moments in this and be less of like i protect bond even though he's like shit and i don't like him this one she's like i always got the impression that she was using him like yeah she allowed him to break in allowed him to break into her stuff she could have shut him down at any point doesn't want to wants to use this blunt instrument and see what he will do how far he will take them and then when he proves to be kind of effective because he sort of loses in casino royale right like he doesn't get to kill the bad guy that is taken away from him Lashif, um mads mickelson fantastic bond villain i think uh, despite having a few too many bond villain quirks what is it a a dud eye a, a bleeding tears and asthma why not just pick one <laughs> but apart from that like he's a fantastic actor and like that torture sequence is pretty incredible it's good it's very to see, memorable yeah. it's good to see a bad guy who is on the back foot uh at times as well like, yeah and like with with casino royale like we have to remember that this may be a modern bond film in the sense that we've now had him on our screens for decades but it was the first book um and it was the first film and so the the author hadn't yet fleshed out this character at this point like where like what Casino Royale is is the beginning of a decades long growth period for this one person. I don't know how closely it's based on the book. I haven't read the book. Have you read the book? No. Right. No, not Casino Royale. So, I have read Bond books in the past. Right. Yeah. My understanding is that they they take the titles, they take inspiration from the plots. Like I believe that Casino Royale being called casino royale has a poker match in it mm-hmm. uh and it has a sheaf and other elements but mm. then they just go and do their own thing like quantum of solace i think is the name of a short story or a chapter in a bond yeah. book. like it's one of the few uh bond titles that hadn't been used and it hadn't been used because it's a f- pretty fucking clunky title it's a terrible title and the way that I think they... there's only one that's worse than it what's that octopussy no <laughs> no that's just funny it's bad but it's funny i i enjoy it but it is terrible. No, but the worst one is Never Say Never Again. Well, that... That's like the Darkness song, One Way Ticket to Hell and Back. It's a fucking return ticket. Um, <laughs> get wrecked, the darkness. 
But wasn't that, correct me if I'm wrong, that was a Sean Connery one, right? Mm-hmm. And I believe that was a remake, an unofficial remake of Thunderball. And this is the point where they unretired his Bond to make another Bond, but it became confusing because this was the point at which somehow some dude owned uh, Blofeld. It's like the Marvel shit before Marvel shit happened. This is why Spectre... Oh, the character of... Yeah. What? Somehow someone had a right to say we own Blofeld at some point, which kind of meant that they could still use James Bond as long as... It's weird. And they only got the rights back before Spectre, um, which is why Spectre should have been a bigger deal than what it was. And that's why Blofeld had a massive presence in earlier Bonds, but then completely disappears. Yeah. And he was in charge of a mob called Spectre. Which, in Quantum of Solace, you can see that they're, like, trying to talk around the IP type of thing. So it's quantum. And because James Bond feels alone, it's his quantum of solace. It only could have been worse if they'd either worked the title into the song uh, or they'd worked the title into, like, a line of dialogue. I'm caught in a quantum of solace! Here's my movie would like to tell you all about Listerine's exciting move into the ocular moisture space. Listerine eye drops provide a cool burn that's guaranteed to get you moving through your day. Out of the way, world. I'm blinded by minty fresh success. No, but see, this is where, like, we're getting into... and like, There's nothing wrong with Americanization of things. Um, you... Sometimes it, it works really well, but we've got our action, you know, one man with a gun saves the world series. We've got tons of them that are told from an American point of view. Like, But Bond many- is still the gold standard. And even in America, he's considered to be the gold standard. Yeah, of course, of course. But he's different. He is not one man with a gun saves the world, for starters. Like, he's often saving the world, though. Well, yeah, but is he? Or is it just about money to the British government? Or is it... Just no, the, the newer ones, but the older ones uh, used to be, like, global threats. Yeah, yeah, I know he's taken on terrorists of whatever the threat was in the news at the time, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, <laughs> ah, the Chinese, ah, the Russians! Stealth ship, giant stealth ship that yeah. you can just see with your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, tomorrow never dies, everyone. Tomorrow never dies. Yeah, but I don't know. Look, for, for me, he's better than just a run-of-the-mill action hero. I mean, and there's nothing wrong. Like, I like uh, Die Hard. I like Mission Impossible. I like the Bourne series. Um, there's many others that I'm blanking on right now. But all of those are still great. Like, I love action movies. I think, you know, especially, like, B-grade action movies a lot. Like, the the enchantment of lone guy destroying 30 people in a scene is not lost on me. Like, I always root for that hero, like we're all supposed to. The lone gunslinger idea, which yeah. transcends borders, it like trans- the, the Ronin idea for yeah. Japan. It's why Mad Max works so well in America, because it was like the lone gunslinger type idea. And, and it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's one of those archetypal stories that seems to be closer to universal than not yeah and and bond has always had elements of that but there you know and let's notwithstanding you know the elements of misogyny and things like that that were i guess representative of their era in film 
um, in previous iterations of Bond, the Daniel Craig series really sort of washes that away and a lot of the female characters are, are f- like fully fleshed out and still scenes that they're in. Like, J- D- Judy Dench is the best part of Quantum of Solace and I didn't count them, but she might even have more lines than Bond. Well, she, I think she had a bigger <laughs> role. I think they wanted to give her a bigger role, which is great. I mean, you've yeah. got Dame Judy Dench. Like, yeah. give, the lady, give the lady some room to breathe. She's a fantastic actor and the more you give her, the better oh, your yeah, movie yeah, will yeah. be. Uh, certainly, Eva Green immediately as soon as she sits down in Casino Royale is a match for Bond. I mean, she's not an assassin, she's not a killer, but she's definitely, like, more than a match in terms of her wits and things. Yeah, and... And she she, sees him for what he is. Yeah, and and she steals every scene that she's in. Um, She... Vesper. Yeah, she gets... uh, She takes uh, Daniel Craig and, and, and breaks him open really in those films I mean there's a, a very powerful scene where they're both uh, embracing in the shower and they're both clearly very traumatised from the events that have taken place and for me that, that scene sort of signifies a bit of a shift in the Bond series and there's a <laughs> it kind of makes you think like why haven't we seen this before there are, there are many Many women in the in the Bond franchise, all with you know various pun names that are stupid and diminishing. Vaginomus. Yeah, That's like not, not one, but but it, it could be. Could be. You'd believe me. Yeah, like, <laughs> I didn't even. Pussy galore was literally one. Pussy galore is one. Yeah, and like, yeah. So you know, there are plenty of women, none of which do what Vesper did in 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 Casino Royale, and I think there's a reason for it. And that's because if you really take a lens to Bond, what he does is deeply disturbing most of of the time. It's a cold-hearted killer. Yeah, and um, I think it's the reason we haven't seen that scene is because none of the characters ever face that in any of the other films. It's glossed over. Well, there's fluff, right? Yeah, you know, and, and they, you know, it's a... He's there for the the sexual gratification that that character provides. You know, he's nice to them and they're nice back and they have a great time. They enjoy the spoils of riches after he's successfully defeated a rich villain, you know, and sail off on a yacht together or end up at a resort together or whatever at the end of the film. And all of them gloss over the idea that there has been utter destruction and for anyone but you know perhaps someone that's been lobotomized or is genuinely a psychopath there would be lasting psychological effects of all the actions that have taken place to get to that moment um well vespa helps him effectively helps him kill people she doesn't just see bodies but she but she hates it yeah, no, but she she yeah. helps him because she kind of has to. She wants to. I mean, yeah. if, if he dies, she's dead. Um, she can't really fight. The guy's got a gun, so she has to help. But she's still involved in killing. And I, I don't think he's traumatized by that moment. I think that he's no, no, I, cold he, and calculating, and she's utterly devastated. And, I, and what I love about that moment, the shower scene, is it's so subversive because you think Bond girl and Bond in a shower. You're like, fuck yeah, that's hot. And you're like, no, no, this is this is depressing. It's depressing. It's human and. I don't think he's traumatised. He sucks the blood off her fingers. Yeah. 
Like, and I don't think it, there's nothing sexual about it for me. Nope. He's just like, he's trying to help. How do I clean? All right, my mouth's here. Like, blah, blah. And it's just like this kind of like, he's, yeah, I'm a cold hearted killer. I yeah. know what I am, but I see you're upset. No, no, no. I think it goes a step further than that. Is I think for, for this moment, he's not traumatized and realizes he should be. Yeah, well, I mean, they they do touch on that a bit. Yeah, like the and idea they explore that, that theme, like and that's really awesome. He says whatever, like when they sort of fall in love towards the end, and I think they earn that. It's not one of those like suddenly they're in love after two minutes type thing where you're like, where did that come from? No. Um, one of my problems of Avengers Infinity War, which is the first one of the recent two, yes, was that um, this whole like Star-Lord Gamora thing they've been building up suddenly is resolved and they're in love mm. and they're in love because it requires there to be sadness after a particular plot point like and you just like you didn't earn that like you've had two movies of them doing like leading up to this and you've just kind of jumped into a part where suddenly they're together I'm like okay yeah yeah fair enough like I don't think that's in line with Gamora's character um I don't think Peter Quill's really kind of even in a place where he could accept that yet but sure let's just do that for the sake of the plot yeah, but they, they spent, like, an entire movie infertilizing him, and then suddenly he's in love and able to sustain a relationship, and it's, yeah, it's a really bizarre turn of events. Well, he's, like, a broken character. I mean, like, yeah. a similar way to Bond. Let's bring it back to Bond. Um, he is... Bond is a very broken character, and and Eva Green identifies that, talking about MI6, how, how like, where they're... They're, tr- they're basically saying, I know shit about you just based on how you dress and how you look, rah, 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 and they're breaking each other down. And he says, I think you're an orphan. And she's like, because your brain went to orphan, I'm going to say the same of you. And it, it makes sense. MI6 taking this broken little orphan boy and then molding him into a killer. And and even if she's not right, because at the end of the day, she's not a witch, you know, and, and nor has James Bond set up that this person can see in the future or anything like that or read his mind, no. nor should they. But I'm saying, like, if you choose to believe that is true, it's like... it. It creates this awesome moment that's relevant in the present between these two characters verbally sparring, but it also shows a background to Bond that's like, it's so easy to forget when you get it caught up in the shit puns and the and the body count, and you're like, holy fuck, like, if this is a real character and they try to treat him like a real character, he is, like, totally broken, brainwashed for Queen and Country at all other costs, including my own life, my wishes for love and peace and you know to have a quiet life it's like they want people who want to kill Mm. and they want people who will do it unflinchingly and without question yeah and they're kind of like the way that he fucks up and does stuff and like m would have been within her rights to to fire him have him imprisoned or even to have him executed probably have him killed she's like no this, this is what i mean this is me buying into the what i think is the subtle narrative of m's story is that she's using him like and, and at that stage, because at Casino Royale, like, he's new, so we kind of have to forget that he's not Pierce Brosnan and they haven't had all this time together. No. So this is like a, a restart type thing. So she is using him. And then I think over the course of the Bond movies that Daniel Craig and her are in, she actually gets to like him, and that's kind of, like, problematic for her. And then he, well, yeah, she's that, like a mother a lot, figure. The loss of him is a loss to her once they Yeah, like the mother, mother-son mother relationship, yeah. but that's really fucked up because mummy's sending son out to, like, execute people. Like, mm. it's got layers if you think about it, yeah. which is when they get it right in this new Bond, like, I don't... I'm a bit scared about the next Bond because I'm like, I don't want them to reimagine Bond again. I want them to continue with this trajectory of the grounded Bond. Mm. 
put in your little elements of, you know, your, your Q character and your gadgets and stuff like that. I think that can still work. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. But this this person who you're actually trying to sit down and you can see the the producers or the writers, whoever came up with it, has said, what if he was real? Like, let's treat him like a real character instead of this two-dimensional poster, you know, that walks in, executes everyone and disappears in the wind. Mm. You know, let's make him bleed, like emotionally. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And that's why, like, Quantum of Solace I have a soft spot for because I think you, I get a great appreciation of Casino Royale from watching Quantum of Solace because you're watching the before love, during love, after love. What does James Bond become? And I think you get signs of what he's going to become after Vesper dies at the end of Casino Royale. But then in Quantum of Solace, you get to see him becoming that super dispassionate, disconnected Bond. Like you get to see the payoff of this is what happens when someone who sees like their last bit of hope and he, he gets betrayed by her, which I think is amazing. Mm. And then the, the like, kind of like it, it adds more to the, the questioning at the end of Casino Royale is, I don't know about you, but for me it was always, did Vespa actually love him? Was Vespa just playing him? Did Vespa actually was just protecting her boyfriend? So she's not really like a bad guy per se or whatever, but she's definitely used Bond for a noble cause to save her boyfriend. Yeah. And then when you find out about that boyfriend's arc and how he's just a, a fucking con guy, you know, and, and you want Bond to kill him and he doesn't. So you still get these elements of like, there is a predictable arc for this blunt instrument, but he is rebelling against it. He's refusing to do it. It's not elegant. Quantum of Solace is not at all elegantly executed, but those little human moments I find add more. Like, and you get to see the aftermath of Mat- Matthias. Is he the you know the older guy? Yeah. He's he's such a cool character in the first one, and Bond is convinced that he is the leak when it you know before he realizes it's Vespa. And then right at the end of Casino Royale, he's talking to M, and M's like, "Well, I guess that means Matthias is off the hook," and he's like, "No, it doesn't. Press him." But then he needs his help later, and you know, Matthias very understandably doesn't want to have anything to do with it. But Matthias is this guy who's earned his out, mm. and then he drags back in, and because of that, he gets killed. Yeah. And like, in trying to protect the mission, figure stuff out, let out anger, whatever, he gets his buddy killed because he throws him at the cops as the cops are shooting. So I don't think he does that to have Matthias killed. It's like a self-preservation stop thing, but ultimately it fails. It's not that hero moment where he gets to the end of the movie and he gets everything that he wanted. He gets all the answers, he gets the closure, he gets to kill or beat up the ex-boyfriend, you know, because he's angry. His buddy Matthias, who was shitty at him for dogging him, forgives him and he gets to go have a drink with him. Like, it's kind of like an ugly, not 100% satisfaction. This is not a romantic comedy ending it's like wow okay I'm, I'm really interested to see what they do with the character next type thing like I think that it's a, t- intended as a two part this is the start of James Bond like the first one is here's what he's like here's his potential and this is why he goes that way and then Quantum of Solace is delivering like the sorts of things you talked about where he sort of becomes a mindless killer I think is him like basically a broken hearted assassin who has all of but the ability. They didn't earn that, I don't think. Like, we know that from watching Casino Royale and we can... They, they do do a couple of callbacks to it, but it's not enough. They, I mean, it's just like the quick-cut action scenes. They spend two seconds on it and move on to something else and you're left waiting, going, hang on, wait. Wait, oh, oh Vesper, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, that, that ended really badly. Oh, okay. 
And then you've probably missed something else in the time that it's taken you to, to re-establish. Oh, okay, you know, he's hurting from, you know, letting someone in and then they die, and then they betray him and die, you know, even though that doesn't quite go down that way. Um, but it's still a loss that he's suffered that he actually cares about and, oh, my God, and now he's just turned into this action hero that scales buildings and, you know, shoots a bunch of people and then does karate and then he's out of there and, oh, he saved the world. Like, that there was... They, the thing that I loved about Casino Royale is that they weaved action, you know, tense moments with those moments of establishing character where he is... Like, I've never cared, really, about anybody in a Bond film ever, apart from Casino Royale. Um, it's there as, you know, they're either cheesy where, you know, you see everyone in nice clothes that are fashionable at whatever time the movie comes out. Yeah. And there's models like, you know, Sophia Loren in her day and other people that, you know, on a beach inevitably or whatever. And it's, you know, it's it's meant to be a, a day out at the cinema where you see a, a clever, calculating, you know, good guy that you're meant to be rooting for. Um destroying evil and doing it in a fancy car, you know. Um, and so they, they didn't ever really have a lot of substance for me, ever. And then Casino Royale did. And I think they... It's the first time where I've looked forward to characters reappearing. I've wanted more from others. I've wanted to see the continuation of stories from, you know, like the other, uh, you know, MI, the other MI6 agent... He's not an MI6 agent. Felix. Felix, yeah. American. The, yeah, He's the, American. The CIA guy, yeah. Like, and I've, Bernard from... Uh, Bernard from uh, Westworld, yeah. yeah. He's an awesome actor. Who hasn't aged at all in... That's because he's a robot. Ten years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so they establish all of these things and make us care deeply about... Or make me care deeply about almost every character for the first time because they're actually spending time on their story. They're actually reacting with substance to the events around them and Bond is still Bond he still is a killer and he still it doesn't like he's not howling with sadness after shooting somebody or anything like that but I think that you know the relationship between or the the established relationship between him and Vesper is so strong in that film that he starts to question his actions despite being the moulded orphan boy for MI6, that's the trained killer who knows nothing else but this life. And he sees another life. Yeah, he sees another life. He sees a way out. He sees something different. And for me, that is completely destroyed in Quantum of Solace. He, and he's sad. He's a broken man. They touch on that a little bit. But it's all forgotten about, and everybody is just a background painting to him going through the motions of action to complete a mission. Look, it's it's inelegant in its execution. The storytelling yeah. leaves a lot to be desired, but yeah. I like the plot. So yeah. they've tied, like, they have a Bond girl in it. There's one who's basically just a Bond girl who ends up, you know, dying. And then there's one who Olga, whatever her name is, who he spends the majority of the movie with, and they don't even they don't even have sex. But she is out for revenge, 
and he sees what that does to her and he's also out for revenge so they're on this path together that kind of get become intertwined and they realize yeah. they're kind of out for the same things but they end up also realizing well we need like this is not the answer mm. type thing and even though he like he effectively kills the bad guy at the end but he doesn't like he doesn't shoot him mm. he says he has some oil and those people didn't like that like give, give him the oil can thing but I thought it was fantastic like because it was it's dark because that's super dark, that's yeah. how that bond you know chick who's sent to basically sent to send him home who would be alive if he'd just gone home but he she got caught up in his thing so collateral damage classic bond trope but um yeah he has a bit of poetic stuff with her death like this guy's death and he's like yeah you go you walk take this that's all you got good luck um the guy gets killed anyway like off-screen dialogue stuff it's a callousness that we're not used to um but that's one of the only scenes i liked because for me as callous as it was it it still grounds the film in uh, a darkness and, and a rounding of character that i i was that I'd, I'd come to expect from casino royale like fleshed out decision making that ties back to a character that we've we're, we're, we're understanding on screen that we're that we're on board with despite how terrible they are yeah well you get where he comes from you, you don't have to agree with what he does but you understand why he does what he does and what motivates him and i think that again the plot works for the most part in quantum of solace but the execution is is where it falls apart well yeah because it's so disjointed i mean he does that and then you know then we get a you know 12 minute scene of motorcycle riding and fighting random characters that we don't give a shit about that we only saw 30 seconds for 30 seconds all up previous to that fight scene and you where you've got to go back and think oh that's just some random henchman i think oh no wait he he gave some information in act one. Oh yeah it's actually important that he gets his ass kicked and dies like you know because <laughs> the the old bond films um they kind of reminded me like I, I I don't know I, I tend to see about half an hour of this film every time I go to my parents place because it seems to always be on TV but I actually sat down and watched the whole thing and that was the original Batman movie from Tim Burton's uh no no it's oh no actually it's a series um with uh, Adam West yeah and, the, the old ba- yeah, 1960s yeah, and, Batman and, yes and Cesar Romero as the Joker Fun fact, um, I wondered what the fuck was going on with the Joker's makeup in that scene and uh, Cesar Romero's contract stipulated that he would only play the Joker if he didn't have to shave his moustache because that was part of him and why he got casted as other things and he was uh, he was in another film around the same time, I just forgot the name of it, but um, and he had to have the moustache, so they just painted it white. And people complain about Henry Cavill's CG removed contractually obliged moustache from the reshoots of uh justice league yeah because he had to keep it for ghost ghost protocol no mission impossible yeah right the, the new whatever the latest one was which i'm blanking on yeah it was uh it's actually hilarious because some, some as soon as you notice it you can't unsee it you can't unsee it and it's really really funny um but they like the action scenes in that uh you know deliberately cheesy and like one punch just knock somebody to the ground and they're it's assumed, all cheesy though and they're assumed dead you know and, and 
and things like that. But um, so you know, you see uh, the you know the Connery, Roger Moore, um, even Timothy Dalton Bond films, and they're all they've all kind of got that sticky kind of ele- uh, quality to them where. You know, he's always fighting bad dudes and he's got a gun and, you know, he's a super spy that you don't mess with, but, uh, you know, wink to camera, like, he's real classy and we still want to be that guy. Um, so that that's sort of the that's sort of what we've been set up with. And, and, and Casino Royale was a reinvention of that to fully flesh out the characters as, you know, w- with the darkness that should have been inherent all along in a character that literally kills people if you for take a job. it seriously if you take it seriously and that tonal shift i think suits the character much better um and the books were always meant to be sort of like a pulp fiction sort of you read it on the train on a trip for light entertainment and stuff like that so that's sort of the source material that they're, they're working with but you know thinking deeper and, and and shifting the tone on it you can easily see why it works so well to to have the, the Daniel Craig style bond. Everything benefits from you taking your characters more seriously, though. Yeah, and, and but for me... Quantum, Anything serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for me, Quantum of Solace didn't quite know where to put itself. Um, it's like it, it kind of wanted to... And, and, like, even Pierce Brosnan in GoldenEye. Like, I like GoldenEye. It's a good film. Um, it's on our list. It is on our list. And I actually like Pierce Brosnan as Bond. Like he, Same. When you, when you think about James Bond and... When you see him described in in the novels, like he looks like Pierce Brosnan, <laughs> pretty much like he's definitely yeah. The I think in terms of the look, yeah, yeah, it's him. Like tall and handsome and stylish, white man with perfect hair and perfect teeth. Like that's <laughs> that's kind of what he looks like. And Daniel Craig is still a very attractive guy that obviously suits the character very well. But they've got a very different look, um, and and it works so. Well, but even even Pierce Brosnan still played up that cheesy angle a bit too much in in his films, I think. Um, Definitely by the end. Yeah, like was it was it Tomorrow Never Dies? Was that the newspaper one? Was it? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's a Pierce Brosnan one. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, that was comical, like in a lot of parts. Oh, Die Another Day is the and that was that was a guilty pleasure movie for me. Oh yeah, Die that, Another Day. Yeah. And like that was the Madonna surfboarding theme, away so. from a tidal wave. Yeah. Of like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they went full back to the Roger Moore. Yeah. You know, but like a, a villain with diamonds stuck in his face for some reason. Because that makes him scary. But like, it's just yeah. yeah, it's like they're not taking the character seriously. Yeah, yeah, um, and. So even they played up the cheesy angle, you know, and then it's like, oh, thank God, you know, a different a different lens for Bond in Casino Royale. And then I feel like Quantum of Solace kind of fucked that up a bit in a lot of ways. Like, it could have been so much darker and so much more harrowing to, to have a, a broken psychopath on the loose, which is essentially what he is. They just didn't. That's what they do. Again, that's what the plot is. Yeah, the but storytelling is too not. Much, but there's too much happening. There's randoms popping in all the time that get one or two lines, and you either never see them again, or they get killed, and that was allegedly really important because they had a message 
that's recalled in one line an hour later. Look, it goes forever, this film, too. No, it's an hour and 40 minutes. No, it feels like seven no, hours. it's the shortest Bond. It is not the shortest Bond because it felt like days that I was there and watching the film, so therefore it is the longest Bond. Ah, okay. Bit dramatic. <sighs> yeah, it probably is. But, um... Wait yeah. till you see Spectre. <laughs> I can't. Not everyone's telling me it's That's shit. got Dave Bautista in it. You'll love it. And double Academy Award winner, that guy. Dave Bautista. No. The... He's saying he doesn't deserve an Academy Award. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, correct. Not based on what I've seen. Yeah, all right. Well, clearly you haven't watched his wrestling career, so fucking whatever. Clearly I haven't. Is, is he uh, Oscar-worthy wrestler mm-hmm. Dave Bautista? Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. I'll take your word for it. No. Um. And, you know, they, they, they played up the action... It didn't ever get super cheesy, but it was all about explosions and guns when you've got this undercurrent of pathos and despair that's never fully explored and it does not do the film justice. Well, that's why it needed a better script. And it would have had one. Because there's these two... If it weren't for those meddling kids. Well, yeah, the writer's strike. There's these yeah. two Bond mainstays, someone Wade and something else. I'm so good with names. Um, who basically write all the Bonds and have for the longest time, but then they tend to give the script to someone else. I believe Paul Haggis was the someone else for Casino Royale, and that's where you get those more well-rounded characters and moments, and I think that he was also working on Quantum of Solace before the writer's strike happened. Now, they're not allowed to write if you were in the guild, for those unaware. During the writer's strike, they were literally told they weren't allowed to write for as long as it lasted. And that's why you got a lot of travesties that time. I mean, like Transformers 2, for instance, was the two writers who were working on it wrote as much as they could and then they handed it over to Michael Bay. Uh, And that's why you got what you got with that movie because it was just too, like, they they didn't move the shooting dates, they didn't move the uh, hitting cinemas date and then you get garbage because of it because it's like a fantastic argument for why... You need good scripts. Yeah. And whether the good script comes exclusively from a writer or multiple writers or a group of writers or a producer or a director that is very harsh and whips writer or writers into shape or a script into shape, takes it off one and gives it to another. However it works, cameras should not be rolling until that script is like, that is it. That is the best version of this movie. Not like, well, we've got a deadline. I mean, that's what happened with The Force Awakens. Yeah. And I think that's why you got a regurgitated Star Wars plot because it's like, well... We didn't have time for anything else. What have we got to achieve? We've got to show that (laughs) that Star Wars can still be great and we've got to show that we, Disney, without George Lucas, can can make Star Wars movies and we understand what makes a good Star Wars movie. You know what? They did that. They didn't make an amazing Star Wars movie in uh, The Force Awakens. They made a a movie that was a statement, a $250 million statement that they knew what made a good Star Wars movie. Okay. And that's why, you know, The Last Jedi, go listen to our previous episode, should have been that next step of that journey. And for some people it was, for us it was not. Mm. Uh, but it's sad. And, and also, even George Lucas, pus that he was making, had three years in between prequels. Mm. Uh, they have two between core episodes. It's, what can you do with a year? Oh, my God. What can you do with a year of extra writing? or a year dedicated to just writing a script instead of knowing that you're like, well, we've got to start working on, you know, pre-production starts at a point and then there's a certain amount of post-production you've got to allow for with CG and the scale of of these things and you allow time for reshoots. Like, 
you're stuffed. Mm-hmm. And then what what suffers? The script suffers. The script has to suffer because it has to be done. It has to be distributed. Has to be signed off on. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. And Quantum of Solace is like it's definitely a, a sharp decline in quality from Casino Royale. They had just so much to work with. And there was already this amazing new tone, this new, this enhanced and deeper characterization that they had and the leftover anguish of, of how Casino Royale ended. Had a good full stop, didn't it? They, have, they had an incredible foundation or an ellipsis. to build on. Yeah. What comes next? And yeah, it, it, it just didn't work out for me. Like I actually found it really hard to pay attention. In some time, in like in some areas, because there was either too much happening or nothing of interest happening. You know, there were there were people coming in, going out, leaving nothing behind. You know, that was that was going to be carried into a major plot point. It all became very confused, and then sort of the last half an hour, they're wrapping up the main plot points of the story, and you know, you, I guess in that sense. The, the main points that are established are resolved but does that that's not the only thing that makes a good movie like you can't go well we wrapped up all the stories we were aiming to tell you know it's like well what if it, why, why did all this leftover shit happen that didn't matter and why did it just become about explosions instead of carrying on the legacy that Daniel Craig worked and, and, and team worked so hard to establish in Casino Royale what I'm hearing is that you loved it. So how many uh, Roger Moore's shit puns out of five would you give Quantum of Solace? <coughs> mm, two. And what about Casino Royale? Four. Okay. And what is your movie? Well, I mean, I, I'd lean into the darkness. Um again with Quantum of Solace. I don't understand why it shifted so dramatically. For for me, it was really jarring. And I think if they just do that, then you tease out the elements that would have made a more compelling film, which is... uh, and, And Bond, like, he should have been making more mistakes than just sort of tripping over when running on a building or hurting himself jumping mm. down from a ladder. Are you jumping now between them? No. Right. Um, like a, a, a broken psychopath with nothing to lose doesn't answer to anybody. And there is a bit of that with M sort of calling back and, you know, realising that, you know, oh, well, you know... the the girl's gone, Bond, and blah, blah, blah. But she actually, she's the one that breaks it to him that um, she wasn't, he wasn't actually double-crossed by her. Um, and he comes to realise that he can sort of make peace with... Well, he was. With Vespa, yeah. He was double-crossed by her. 100% was. But, but like, was the there was a him. reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was a reason, but she still fucked him over. Yeah. but, but he, it As was, far as he was concerned. But it was that or die. Yeah. Like so, I think he can make he like he's given um, a way to make peace with how he feels like towards the end of the film, which is nice, um, and that is a nice wrap up. And honestly, like uh, M is the glue that holds the whole thing together, really. Um, but yeah, 
the the a broken psychopath is capable of things unprecedented in in the Bond series, um, especially when he's let loose with several gadgets and weapons that can cause a lot of problems. We didn't really see that come out at all. Um, it, it went underused because someone in that state doesn't really answer to anybody. Like it is a fascinating what if, yeah, and it's something they um, try to explore in License to Kill, which is the the Dalton one, yeah. where they remove his license to kill, but he goes rogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I, and I think Bond going rogue, like it was the perfect setup for that, and it didn't happen really. Like it was. Then deliver on it. He was petulant at times, and <laughs> um, uncontactable by head office. I'm not responding, mum. Yeah. Uh, wow, big fucking deal. Like. It should it should have been more electric in those moments. There should have been more uh, scenes where the audience is left going, "Oh my god, he 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 really did that!" Like, where does he go from here? You know. So there's an elevation and then a de-escalation that we can look forward to, where he's back on board. But I think it would have been a very interesting dichotomy to uh, have Bond toe the line of maybe being the bad guy for some of the film um, and actually shift some of the um, audience support to um, to the villains. But the villains weren't established as anyone to write home about in the whole film, so that wasn't made possible. But it could have been with better characterization. Yeah. What would you change about Casino Royale? Anything? I mean, you said four stars out of five. Yeah. So there are things that you didn't like or things that you would have tweaked and changed? <coughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's for a Bond film, like it's the, on the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter, like that's the freshest one. The freshest? Do they do freshest? Oh, they do fresh and rotten. Freshest of all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so in, in terms of that, I'd probably leave it mostly as is. Um, I'd probably rethink the setup of Vespa double-crossing and then dying. Um, that sets up an incredible pathway for the next one that we now get to see with the benefit of hindsight. You'd leave her alive. Yeah. So well, she's in the second one. And Quantum of Solace. Yeah, well, we, we now see, because Quantum of Solace is out and we've seen it. So we saw what they did with the, you know, amazing ellipsis at the end of the film, which was fuck all. Um, <laughs> Less so, than Stella. Yeah, so I would probably question killing her off if they didn't really know what to do with a bond that was broken. Would you kill her off in Quantum of Solace? Or Maybe, not? yeah. Yeah? And it would not be... Like, I would not dial too heavily into the romanticism. I think the way they handled that in, in Casino Royale was absolutely perfect. There was a romantic element to it that was completely overshadowed by the fact that they had jobs to do and everything was going wrong for most of the film. Yeah. Um, and they stayed on task. And that's an incredible lift from what we've seen in every other Bond film previous to that 
with both well, all the female characters pretty much, apart from, I guess, Miss Money Penny <laughs> at times, um, and, and M to you know a lesser, lesser extent. Um, But mind you, like, apart from the weird, you know, rogues gallery of villains that we get, most other male characters are also backgrounded to Bond. It's very much a, you know, whoever's the Bond is the star of the show and everybody sort of dances to his tune. Like, that's what all the other films have been about. Um, mustache twirling villains. Mustache twirling mm, villains. Not like, very... ah, yes, and I'll take all the money and I'll kill you. And that's you a definitely a concentrated effort of the newer ones. Money Penny, when she comes back, Skyfall, off the top of my head, gets yeah. better treatment yeah. than she ever has. Yeah. Uh, M, although she was better from Dame Judi Dench playing her in the Pierce Brosnan era, is better served with more screen time, more to do. Yeah. So all the characters, even Felix, like these characters are f- more fleshed out because Felix is a recurring character in old Bond movies. Yeah. Uh, but he's just kind of like the American correspondent, Felix Delighter. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I guess you, if you were being kind, you interpret all of that is, as, you know, Bond is the super spy, Bond works alone. Bond relaxes with the female characters who sometimes serve a very superficial purpose or help in a mission in some way, usually as a distraction for a male villain or something like that, um, that play really no part in the mission being truly complete. Whereas he and Vesper needed each other for virtually the whole time for that to be a success. And it was more than just put on a nice dress and talk to the man. Like Everything had a reason it, behind it, it. It was set up as that and it became so much more. And that is that is perfect because there is the hint of romance there, and they clearly had respect and love for each other in whatever form they were both capable of at the time. Um, and then, you know, she dies, and she's betrayed him, and that is whatever little piece of soul he was able to muster during his interaction with Vesper is now crushed. Um, so I I wouldn't dial too heavily into the room. I wouldn't keep that going to the point where Quantum of Solace opens with their beautiful relationship and they're talking about having kids and blah blah blah. Like that's that'd be a really bizarre turn for the Bond series, I think. Um, but I would perhaps have them uh, working together, or, or or at least hinting at a history of more missions together. Maybe then the betrayal happens, and then he's working through that while on task for for the mission that's in Quantum of Solace, only to have her die when he realises that she had to do it to save his life. I mean, I think that would have cemented the film um, a bit better initially, so that they, they wouldn't have had the choice to just make it this blast fest action film with no real substance because you've still got that A storyline to to work with um, or well, really a B storyline I guess if the A storyline is with the new villain yeah which um, it has to be right <clears throat> yeah, for which, Bond ha- movie. which it has to be yeah um, and so that would require changing the ending slightly to Casino Royale um, and making that a happier ending which potentially makes it not as good of a film 
No, I, I think um, Casino Royale did a very good job of subverting expectations. Similarly, we talked about the shower scene earlier from like little moments, and yeah. even to the point where if you read about uh, or listen to them talk about that one kind of it's a throwaway scene of Bond coming out of the water, mm. you know, when he's watching the lady riding the horse, yeah. <laughs> which is weird. But like that is usually a Bond girl, yeah, like is. stepping out of the water and revealed in all her dripping glory in yeah. some low cut bikini where you basically can almost see nipple type thing that was just a cool subversion of that and like why not like mm. you still have the the bond girl riding across the beach on the horse with kids chasing her weird it's weird but like they were well it's, it's not sexy is it it's just weird it's just strange but like they they are showing in mo- in little moments and bigger moments that they're like we are doing something different than what you expect yeah and a bond who isn't always in control type thing who you're not always like oh he's going to win everything type thing like he he bleeds physically he bleeds emotionally mm. he uh, gets beaten by the villain yeah like he effectively like he wins the card game but then he loses because like the, the uh, Eva Green gets kidnapped he goes chasing he gets caught he's going to die yeah. he is saved by the mysterious organization like uh, not by MI6 not by M like he's dead. Mm. He's lost. Bye. My um, movie take on if I was doing it is actually kind of similar to yours. And except, let me tell you now, the reason why I made you watch the two movies is, and I watched a YouTube video on this, but I've tried for the longest time to find out who it was so I give them credit. Apologies to them, but they made one very good point about the problem of Casino Royale is that. Um, when, when you're making a movie, when you're writing a movie particularly, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to have your climax and then there's um, like a resolution after that, right? Yeah. That resolution can be anywhere from seconds to minutes, right? But it's considered to be better to have a resolution that is as close to the climax as possible. And the climax of a movie is when the hero overcomes... The big obstacle in this case the big obstacle is the sheaf now again with subversion i don't even care that he doesn't kill the sheaf i think that's cool that that's taken from him like that is not just subversive that's like really interesting for setting up um a bigger threat that the sheaf this guy who beat bond effectively there's something holding his leash he's just a dog and there's something bigger out there that is more of a threat that doesn't even give a fuck and would like keep Bond alive but kill this dude who let them down and send some sort of message don't really care that they're exposing themselves type thing I find that to be really interesting but what you have is that is actually the climax of the A story yeah and then it goes on for like another 40 minutes 30 to 40 minutes until you actually get the resolution which is the love the actual payoff of the love story I would end the movie very Casino Royale very close to the end of Le Chief. It would end on a kind of enig- enigmatic note oh, yeah. where you're like, oh, shit. What? And this YouTuber did not suggest this, by the way. This is where my thing comes in. Like He just identified that, that there was 40 minutes after the climax of the A story. Um, <clears throat> I would end it close to that. And so you've got this kind of like an almost unsatisfying ending in a way, yeah. but one that says you will still want to come back and watch the next one because we're going to give you some sort of resolution. Mm. Have M asking questions or whatever 
um, or even have him recuperating in that hospital and, and you're wondering what's happening on. Not every threat is resolved, even though the main one was. And then just take that ending and put it at the front of Quantum of Solace. So you have, again, subverting expectations, a Bond movie that starts with like a this weird love story thing for the first act. He's falling in love with his chick. This can't be what this movie's about. What's going on? Like he's retiring. We know that he can't, but how is this going to play out? Yeah, right. She betrays him. She dies. There's your end of the first act. And then you've got all of this momentum of him, like because he shoots that dude in the leg at the end and you get to see the Bond, James Bond reveal, which is a very powerful ending for Casino Royale, by the way. Like that oh, last, it is, it is. That last shot. But then that, that dude's in the boot of the car at the beginning of Quantum of Solace. So what you have is then the end of your first act is James Bond becoming James Bond. And then it's him dealing with the, I'm broken hearted with a lady who I think I loved and I think she loved me, but yeah. she betrayed me and I don't know. And also there's this bigger threat that I'm carrying around in my car. And because I've got him in my car, there's people out to get me. You get him to the, so the, the plot would play out very similarly. Get him to that room. Um, and I think, sorry, before I go into the, the room, uh, the problem, the bigger problem of Quantum of Solace was that it was a lot of talk about Vesper. We didn't get to see her. So actually seeing her reminds you of who she was in Casino Royale. The, there were two tweaks at this stage that I'd make to Casino Royale. The first would be to introduce Vesper earlier. <clears throat> she only comes in at like halfway point. Yeah, that's, yeah that, that'd be great. She doesn't have to be big. Like, it doesn't have to be a big intro. And I'd also, like, there's this, I always find it funny when it, whenever I rewatch Casino Royale because they kind of just offhandedly mention that James Bond is the best at poker. He just happens to be the best. He's the best at all. He's the best at fucking. He's the best at seduction. He's the best yeah. at killing. He's the best at poker. I would have him, like, playing poker in a really short scene with all these other MI agents or whatever. Maybe even other double O's. And he's just so detached from all of them. They've got this camaraderie thing. He's sitting back. He's fleecing them. Whatever he's doing, I'd have a characterizing scene of him playing poker. And I'd probably have Vesper in there somehow. And it's a bad interaction. Like, she thinks he's a dick. And he thinks she's stuck up. Mm. And then later on, bam, she sits down in front of him in the train. And it's not like, hi, I'm Vesper, I'm the money. Which is a great line or whatever. It would be more like a moment of, oh, fuck it's you I'm stuck with the jackass type thing and she's like I don't want to be here he's like I don't want you here so that becomes the tension point and then much of the same way it plays out would play out the only other minor tweak getting back to the room that I mentioned which is the torture room you know at the beginning of uh, Quantum of Solace when M is there and they're like we've got the guy in the seat we're going to torture him and he has that awesome line about like we've got people everywhere and yeah. then that that agent called Mitchell and I only know that because I wrote it down like turns and starts executing him. I'd have Mitchell be in Casino Royale again. He is. They set him up with dialogue. Well, he probably should have been foreshadowed. Yeah. Well, they set him up with dialogue because M goes, "Holy shit! These people are everywhere. That guy's been my. We've we vetted him, and he's been my bodyguard for however long. So have him being like shadowing her, and maybe a little bit of tension between him and Bond. But towards the end of Casino Royale, somehow, like, whatever, Bond earns, they earn each other's respect and it seems like there's a buddy-buddy thing going on. Mm. And then, bam, next minute, he's fucking turning. And you're like, holy shit. So it's less, we need dialogue to explain that this guy has been close to me and that's a violation and more like, he wasn't in that many scenes. We saw him for two or three minutes in Casino Royale, but holy shit, like, how big is this corporation? Like, actually getting us on board with characters who that we liked in Casino Royale going bad. Like, who are like, who can I trust? Which is what they're trying to do 
in Quantum of Solace. Mm. Um, and I think there was rumors and I couldn't find it. I may be misremembering or imagining it, but I remember that I feel like someone shot an extra sequence with Eva Green, which was a video that she left behind for Bond. Explaining. Just... It, she didn't have to explain anything like just maybe just saying that she loves him or something like it didn't have to be expositional mm. I don't remember what the substance of it was it was there to be used it was never used I just think that that would have been a better full stop you know he has that moment with him he walks away um, even if he starts watching it and stops it mm-hmm. like before she even says anything just sees her and like he's done with it or even if he watches the whole thing like as a, as a rounding off of that like this is effectively these two movies what I'm describing I guess are a story about answering the what if of what happens when James Bond falls in love yeah and that love for real goes bad like what how, What does yeah. that look like and that becomes the full stop and then you've got this fully realised as far as Bond is concerned Bond who is now we get why he's a womaniser now we get why he hates detachment mm. now he gets why he, he prefers disposable pleasures but we've also seen his depth. So we kind of hope that there's still something in there that... Yeah, well, they've established depth and an audience, in my opinion, will always be seeking that once it's there. Absolutely. For it to turn around and be absent, aka Quantum of Solace, is... It's, it's jarring. Like, but yeah, if we're going to redo it, like my understanding is that they tacked on the, the Vespa stuff as well. And I think that it like it works having her mention and her being relevant, given that this is a revenge movie, and we're re- being reminded that he is motivated by the fact that of the events of the last movie. So it works again on paper, but in execution, it feels rushed and unthought through. Yeah, because we're talking about the fantasy ideas about movies. I would not be you know churning out a script or getting someone to churn out a script uh, and saying, "Oh, you got to write a strike that happens in five minutes, pens down. That's the script. Let's shoot it." Like. You would take the time to properly incorporate that stuff. And so all of these callbacks and the Matthias stuff, which I enjoy, but like you'd have all these other ones, other characters who were in the Felix scenes. Apparently Felix had a lot more scenes in Quantum of Solace that were cut. Reincorporate that. That guy is a great actor. That guy is a great character. And his little mini arc is like his boss, who's David Harbour from Stranger Things, who's lost a bit of weight since that role. <laughs> Some fat CIA, more porky porkish cia director is um telling him that he's got to kill bond i'm like that's cool they set up these awesome tension things and then they kind of lazily resolve it so again it becomes like priority one and then just totally not important yeah but like we want to dig into more about the why like how much of you know felix does how much of himself does felix see in bond and that that kind of idea like there's this unspoken thing like let's dig into that rich subtext of these two guys who are both killers for their countries and believe and and suddenly their causes are misaligned and it's like but i i kind of like this guy or i kind of see that that guy's mean and killing him i'm killing myself which is you know deep metaphorical whatever but I think that they they introduced interesting ideas in Quantum of Solace. Oh, they did. But they They didn't execute. They didn't stick the landing. No, no, they didn't at all. And it's such a shame. Because sort of unpacking them both, you realise what could have been. Yeah. And I I think moving deeper into the series without going into details or whatever, I think that if they just kept the, the, the Vespa thing as a through line through the whole thing, reminding us, not like in a big ways, but just tying it all together in a way that was like, Let's have a bond, a series of bond stories that are actually like 
fully playing on this and skyfall does it in little tiny ways like it does a that car that he wins in casino royale is in skyfall but it's not, not really yeah it's not as organic whereas when you get to spectre and again another example of a bond that has good ideas and doesn't stick the landing they're trying to bring it all back in again that mr you know we're not giving too much ways in the beginning the mr white character who's the dude who shoots in the leg at casino royale who's being tortured or in the interrogation chair he's back inspector so they bring back the the illuminati angle that kind of disappears from well, skyfall see, it sounds like they're trying to tie stuff in yeah like, and uh, i enjoyed skyfall and if they'd sort of just you don't have to fully plot out a movie just to go we've left you this breadcrumb trail here's what you could do here's the elements you can weave in so there's this when you go back and watch all of the daniel craig bonds you're like oh my god that's cool that's great like i see vespa's present like because she's so great like she should be present. it's like uh, indiana jones you know the biggest problem of the indiana jones sequels was that marion ravenwood is amazing and willie scott who's that screaming idiot from temple of doom even though it's a prequel it's a sequel as far as we're concerned it came after cannot compare and i wonder how much of the reasoning behind making it a prequel was because they're like we can't follow it we can't they we can't follow up on marion ravenwood that is a tough act to follow same with vespa how do you follow up on vespa with a a fully realized three-dimensional love interest you you can't like you they've just like well we've knocked it out of the park so you just don't try to do that so if they kept vespa there in little ways throughout like whether he kept the albanian love knot which he dropped at the end of quantum of solace but like you know whether he kept a token or he had something of hers that he had and even at a point that he lets go of it later than quantum of solace like he's moving on <clears throat> i think that would have been cool Instead of just having, yeah, like I said, like Pierce Brosnan and these other Bonds, even though they might have had recurring characters at times, villains or otherwise, uh, Monty Penny, you know, M, they all, Q especially, they all sort of fell into this cookie cutter role of like that TV serial. And then in the next episode of James Bond, and it's yeah. just like this, here's his adventure in Africa, here's his adventure in Australia. And it's like, what about the story of this, the overarching story of this character? I think that would have been if you'd done Quantum of Solace right that would have motivated the writers and the directors and the producers afterwards to go we love this idea of the through line um, let's let's keep it going mm. I mean when they know they're going to replace the Bond eventually this is Daniel Craig's last Bond coming up whatever it's going to be called um, they're going to replace him after that I don't think James Bond is going anywhere but uh, so it would have been like this kind of legacy even though maybe not every Bond within Daniel Craig's rain was amazing but it was like you know what if you watch them all together you can have a deeper appreciation rather than going oh we can just skip that one yeah absolutely absolutely and you know one line in casino royale that i think would even perhaps come across as cheesy like i think if i wrote that i like would be in two minds of whether it was uh, clever subtext or cheesy, and that is Eva Green, well, uh, Vespa's line after she uh, says that she's got a suit that's already been tailored for him in his exact size, and he said, how did you know? And she said, I sized you up before you even sat down. And that is an incredible piece of subtext, given their conversation about her pegging him as the orphan and everything else. 
Uh, and, and I think delivered by anybody else that may have had, you know, a bit of a schlocky overtone to it. But she just does it perfectly and it's, it's awesome. I think it also, on repeat viewings, ties into the twist, you know, the revelation that she dogs him. Yeah. She's, she's giving him a throwaway line that's immensely satisfying for the audience that puts him in his place, which is part of their dynamic. Yeah, yeah. But she has all of this information on how to manipulate him effectively because she is trying to use him to get him to do the thing that gets mm. the money that gets the boyfriend back, right? Like, yep. so that, when you watch it and realizing how it plays out, you're like, oh, wow. So, it, oh, seriously, where did you get his dimensions from? You didn't do it with your eyes. You don't have laser tailor eyes. You got them either from MI6 or you got them from someone else. So there's like this little you've foreshadowing. You've researched him and prepared accordingly. You've been told. Yeah. Yeah, like everything has to be perfect type thing. And that might have been a clue that a more seasoned James Bond might have picked up on as well. Yeah. And this raw one doesn't. So I appreciate it. I'm not saying that that was necessarily intended, but that's a meaning that I've chosen to add to it. But it's amazing how what should be a terrible line can be delivered by a good actor. I always go back to uh, John Wick when he's <clears throat> captured in the church and they're about to execute him and, and he sort of reveals why he's come back. And the line on paper is this, you took that from me, stole that from me, killed that from me. That is a fucking terrible line. Oh, yeah. You took that from me, fine. You stole that from me, fine. And uh, as the more artsy writers who like Shakespeare might know that the power of threes is real. Mm. So if you're going to give them two, took it from me, stole it from me, you should give them a third because there's that satisfaction from a subconscious storytelling level for an audience to have things in threes. Killed that from me, shouldn't work. But the way that Keanu delivers it and the, the build-up in emotions between each line, you're like, this shouldn't work. But it, it just comes across as the word that we've used quite a bit in this podcast raw like it you it's a guy who's not reciting lines yeah. it's a very upset dude who's trying to emote who's not used to explaining himself who just feels like he just wants to fucking tell this guy what he thinks of him and why he's so angry and he just just says the first thing that comes to mind and what yeah. could have been like a terrible line especially if it was delivered by an average actor um, and would have just been cringe in an otherwise fantastic movie becomes a line that's like yeah that's quotable as long as you can say it right it's very quotable but on paper I'm like I'm like this is this is a line that I would edit <laughs> immediately if someone sent me that script I'd be like circle yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rethink if you want to do threes otherwise just say you took it from me or you stole it from me yeah yeah incredible incredible so next week on here's my movie now, I think next week we've got a few up in the air that we're thinking about. We're wondering if, if, if is this is where we peak? Is, is this where we peak and we dive into Mortal Kombat? Do we do that? What do you think? I think that uh, maybe. <clears throat> maybe. Maybe it's Mortal Kombat. It might be Mortal Kombat. It might be some other relic of the past that... We enjoyed and maybe won't on a rewatch, as tends to happen. Yeah, we got a big list. We got a big list, we... so let's just we'll pencil in Model Combat for now, but it might change. Just go watch it. We'll do it eventually yeah. if anyone gets upset about it. Uh, our intention 
uh, as recommended by <clears throat> one of the friends of the podcast, was to put it out to you people eventually. And as we get more listeners, we will say, let us know what you think. Or we'll say, hey, here's our Google sheet of something like 70 movies that we've got written down with about 30 or 40 shortlisted. Mm-hmm. Take a pick out of those or, you know, throw ideas at us. And if it sticks, if we're like, yeah, we want to, I've got some things to say about that movie, especially because I'm renowned for disliking movies that are considered classic. <laughs> yeah, like one that's on our list is Goodfellas. <laughs> that you don't like that. So yeah. I haven't seen that in fucking yonks. So um, that might be a good one to consider as well. But we might even put it to a poll on Facebook or our website or something like that as well uh, eventually. So, yeah, we'll streamline that process as we grow and... We can only grow with your help. So if you enjoy our podcast, please share it with your friends. And your mum. And your mum. Yeah. Or maybe not your mum. Oh, we do swear. Just say they swear, but they're actually yeah. quite lovely. If you're sharing it with a church group or uh, some other sort of area like that, they may not receive it as well as you. We so did start off with, you know, fuck, marry, kill. We did. Yeah. yeah. So if they did not enjoy the game at the beginning podcast is probably not for them but just leave it playing so we get the extra hit thanks (laughs) um but we do thank you for coming on board if you want to leave a message which we can then play on the podcast head to anchor.fm forward slash here's here's my movie that's here's my movie now there you can actually leave us a recording of anything you could talk about your butt hair you could talk about films you could talk about your shortcomings in life. Scream into the abyss. Scream into the abyss. As long as it doesn't yeah. make the levels go too high, we'll probably play it. Yeah. Um, so all of that is is possible uh, through that messaging service through our podcast distribution software. So uh, do hit us up there. Hit us up on our Facebook, our Twitter, both of which are forward slash here's my, here's my movie. Um, or just head to the website, here's my movie.com. <laughs> If you want to email us directly, that's hello at here'smymovie.com as well. So there's lots of ways you can get in touch. We would love to hear from you. And we'll be back as soon as possible with the next episode. Apologies again for the delay on this one. But we will see you again. Good night and good luck. And a big thank you to our friends of the podcast, uh, Movie Weekly. In particular, Ray Bannerman, designer of our logo. Yes. Movie lover and legend. And also the Gap Podcast, who... Throws love our way. They talk about video games. We talk about movies. They occasionally talk about movies, but they forget more than we do. So you should definitely come here for movies and definitely go there for games. Yeah, Nate is very adept at the whole game thing, hence why he appears on that podcast at times. I'm not so much. Though I do move past the uh, you know Angry Birds gamer. I do... <laughs> I, I do own a console and even a PC that has games on it. Multiple consoles. Yeah. And a PC, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm all right. But I, I, I can't plumb the depths of knowledge like those guys can. So. Elitist gamers say she can call herself a gamer. Candy Crush expert, she ain't. No, God no. Christ. Oh, I noticed I downloaded a new update for Windows 10 and suddenly had some 
fucking spyware bullshit bubble witch saga oh, three. Gotta get into that. Was suddenly on what? my machine. Is that a real thing? Or did yeah, you it was just in, well, it's in the Windows. Bubble Witch Saga three. Yeah, so just, I missed the first. Yeah, two. Yeah, makes this you want to go back. Day. Previously on Bubble Witch Saga. No, but you know when U two like arrogantly released their album through iTunes and it just ended up on everybody's Apple devices. That yeah, time. I do remember. So yeah. that's Bubble Witch Saga 3 on... Malware. Through Windows 10. <laughs> yeah, you, I updated the operating system and it was suddenly playable on my machine. So I had to, I had to, I had to delete it once I discovered that. I better so, look out for Bubble Witch Saga 3. Yeah, I'm not interested in playing that. No, I might have it's it on my computer. stupid. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Precious hard drive space. Yeah. Not interested. Nil interest in your fucking bubble witch Unsubscribe. saga. One, two, or three. Yeah, or you two album installing on my. Well, I've got Android, so I'm safe from that, I guess. Yeah. Um, before we go, perhaps it's timely to uh, remind everyone of Frank Zappa's response to Bono. Oh yes. Um, Legendary. <laughs> so Frank Zappa is one of my heroes. I've actually set up the horrific task of collecting original pressings of every one of Frank Zappa's releases, including Captain Beefheart um, and Mothers of Invention, plus his solo stuff, which is a... Before I started, I should have probably looked up the discography because it's, it's literally about 73 albums. Damn. Um, I've since collected about 20. Including um, Bannerwitch Saga 3, whatever no. it was. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, although he uh, he does have an album called... Ship arriving too late to save a, dra- a drowning witch. Three. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, Bono's a big fan of Frank Zappa and of Captain Beefheart. And he wrote to Captain Beefheart, which obviously went straight to Frank Zappa, uh, when they were first starting out in U2, saying, hey, I'm Bono, I'm in a band called U2, we're you know, gaining traction, blah, blah, blah. I've always been a big Captain Beefheart fan and it'd be great to have a collaboration sometime. You know, I'm recording it blast studio it'd be great to get together signed bono and frank zappa did reply to that letter and his reply was dear bongo no <laughs> i never and get tired of that story i'd wear that shirt i i've looked i i think i'm gonna have to make yeah. the shirt we're designers no well yeah we do we do um so yeah anyway he's my hero one of um if you're looking to check out uh a Frank Zappa album. Uh, Weasel's Ripped My Flesh is a good one. Um, also, what? Uh, uh, Apostrophe is another good one. And, and uh, my personal favourite, Shake, as in the Arabic Islamic thing, and Yabuti. So it's Shake Yabuti, spelled Y E R B O U T I. Ah, very nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're great albums. And if you're a complete nut like I am it's probably music that's up your alley speaking of complete nuts you probably can't hear it but that's the vacuum cleaner starting up I'm uh, not even kidding go then isn't it well thank you for listening thank you and we'll catch you next week goodbye bye